0: Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of the EMJ podcast. My name is Dr. Bridget Scott and the focus of today's podcast is the recent developments in endometrial cancer research presented at ESGO 2023. This podcast has been sponsored by GSK. Joining me today are two experts in the field, Professor Keta LaRusso and Professor Brad Monk, who are going to offer their perspectives on the most important research and the latest findings in endometrial cancer presented at ESGO 2023. Keta LaRusso is Associate Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Catholic University of Rome and is responsible for clinical research development at Fondazione Policlinico Universitario Gemelli, IRCC. She is an active member of the MITO Group, which is the largest research group in the field of gynecologic oncology in Italy. Professor LaRusso is a member of ENGOT, where she leads the Gynaecological Cancer Academy. She is a member of GCIG, where she is part chair of the Endometrial Cancer Committee and Operation Committee, and she is also a member of the ESGO Council. Professor LaRusso is actively involved in preclinical and clinical research on gynaecological malignancies and her mission is to promote education and clinical research and ameliorate treatment of patients with gynaecological cancer. Brad Monk is professor at the University of Arizona College of Medicine and Creighton University School of Medicine, Phoenix, Arizona, and director and principal investigator in community research development, Honor Health, Scottsdale, Arizona. Professor Monk's research interests include the prevention and treatment of gynaecological cancers, He was the first to report the activity of antivascular endothelial growth factor therapy in ovarian cancer, and his papers in the New England Journal of Medicine and Lancet Oncology have led to four FDA approvals of PARP inhibitors in ovarian cancer. Professor Monk is a fellow of ACS, ACOG, and ASCCP, and is an active member of SGO, IGCS, and ASCO. He has authored more than 350 peer-reviewed articles along with more than 30 book chapters dealing predominantly with the prevention and chemotherapy of gynaecological malignancies and patient quality of life. Professor Monk is Vice President and on the Board of Directors for the GOG Foundation and co-directs the GOG Partners Research Consortium. The views and opinions expressed are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of GSK or EMJ. Welcome to the podcast, Professor Ketta LaRusso and Professor Brad Monk. There has been a shift in the way in which endometrial cancer is characterized with histological diagnosis and molecular profiling required for FIGO staging, risk stratification and guiding treatment decisions. Can you tell us more about this shift, Brad?
1: Well, it's, it's been a long time coming. We're celebrating the 10-year anniversary of the Cancer Genome Atlas, where there were four subtypes categorized uh, poly, DMMR, copy number high, and copy number low. Now we're using what's called the PROMIS, uh, which has an NSMP, no specific molecular pattern. We're looking at ER uh, as well. And finally, P53 and HER2. So the molecular characteristics is every bit as important as the histologic subtypes and the stage.
2: Perfect. Um, Keta, do you have anything to add? Oh, it's uh, always difficult to add something uh, when Brad uh, says something, but uh, you know what he said is absolutely important because these four different endometrial cancer type has prognostic implication and also predictive implication because we are moving uh, in a direction in which uh, each of these uh, subtypes will have different treatment. And now there are always implications in staging because of the last figo staging include the molecular characteristic. And this is a very very revolutionary, I would say, a really step forward. For the first time, the staging is not limited to the physical confine of the organ, but also include the molecular characteristic.
1: You know, Keto, we're struggling adopting that because our hospital accreditation depends on accurate staging and we we have a, a difficult time sequencing the DNA be, to find pole E, so there's been some pushback with that. All the other molecular signatures that I discussed are immunohistochemistry based. So. Is this is the new FIGO staging, which is new this year, taking uh, hold in Europe, or are you struggling like we are?
2: We are struggling too, and uh, you know it's a completely changing the paradigm. Uh, and uh, when you have a so radical change, uh, you need uh, you need time, uh, as you said. Then we are struggling too. Uh, it is uh, anyway revolutionary. Revolutionary. Well, we never saw such a thing in any other tumor. So uh, really. Uh, not easy to implement uh, but uh, absolutely innovative so even though the staging is far more complex with this
0: change in this in the guidelines it's going to give us so much more information about the patient and the, c- the correct treatment pathway for them so it's worth the investment and and g- getting through the hurdles unprecedented progression-free survival results from ruby with dostarlimab and NRG-GY018 with pembrolizumab have created a buzz since they were presented at SGO in March of this year and were discussed at ESGO. Can you tell us more about these key studies and the impact of the results on endometrial cancer management? Keta?
2: Oh, they are practice-changing trial This was really... Uh, the, the, the first presentation of the results was during uh, SGO, and then they were presented again uh, during ESGO, and these are really practice-changing trials. I, I do not. there are some differences between trial to trial, but I think the main message is that uh, the combination of chemo plus immuno is a step forward in the treatment of advanced or recurrent endometrial cancer. And... Uh, I, I don't know your, your point of view, Brad, but I think that for DMMR population, no way, no discussion. This is the new standard. These other ratio of 0.28 and 0.30. It's something that we never imagine in endometrial cancer patients. Potentially, we can discuss something more about the PMMR population, where well, there is a benefit. Uh, anyway, there is a benefit. Probably, The magnitude is, is a different with respect to the MMR, and probably we have to move more in detail of the molecular profile of this so-called PMMR patient. But uh, I have no doubt that in the absence of something more, all these patients should be treated with chemoplast immuno. You know?
1: Yeah, I I agree with you, and so does the NCCN, right? And so does the FDA, and so does the uh, CHMP. So the DMMR subset's been FDA-approved and had a positive CHMP opinion, um, and NCCN recommended as the preferred, what I call triplet regimen, platinum taxane checkpoint continued in maintenance. I think there was some skepticism just what you said about the PMMR subset until until October 30th, when GSK, the sponsor of Ruby, had a press release and said there's a survival advantage, not only in the DMMR and intent to treat population, but in the PMMR. So the the small magnitude of benefit in the progression-free survival, like many immune therapy, is exaggerated into overall survival, although the data has not yet been disclosed. But I think what you said is true, all-comer now based on the presentation, publication, NCCN recommended and soon to be global regulatory approval of the triplet in both DMMR and PMMR.
0: That's brilliant. I think you've just answered my next question, which is about whether the PFS benefits can translate into overall survival benefits. It sounds like Brad, there's some very, very recent data that's supporting that.
1: Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. And I think that adds confidence. Um, and uh, it, listen, changing a CAT scan matters, but really matters is changing a patient's life. And the way you help a patient's life is to extend it without uh, a decrement in quality of life. And, and as you saw from ASCO, Ruby also is associated with, in some settings, in numerical improvement in, in, in quality of life. It's interesting, in GY018, the quality of life in the DMMR subset wasn't even collected <laughs> and, 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 and the quality of life was also not in the March 27th New England Journal presentation. So I think, you know, because it was funded by the government, NRG, rather than GOG Partners and got for Ruby, there has been some delayed. And that's why the pembrolizumab triplet has not been submitted to the regulators, at least not to my knowledge
2: you know they were presented probably the, the only point that we can address is that immunotherapy works regardless methylation because there were some uh, um, contrasting data suggesting that uh, pembro works better in patient with somatic or germline mmr and not in patient with methylation but after the presentation of uh, Dr. Escanter of GYO18, regardless efficacy, regardless methylation, probably this is something that can be reported.
1: Yeah, we're definitely trying to sort out sort of the populations in the DMMR subset, either the genetic mutation, germline somatic, or where the gene is turned off with the promoter being hypermethylated. And preliminary hypothesis generating suggests that there is no difference. We're also trying to partition the PMMR subset, and again, preliminary data suggests that maybe the P53 wild type may not quite be as responsive. Again, I don't think we're at a point where we can draw some conclusions, and quite frankly, I don't think it really matters because the survival benefit, I think, is pretty clear. I
2: think so. I agree with you. I agree with you. In front of overall survival data, this... uh, subgroup of subgroup of subgroup analysis uh, risk to create confusion and uh, and we risk to preclude uh, overall survival benefit uh, in patients based on uh, gen hip- hypothesis generating data
1: yeah
2: so the main message therefore is that overall survival
0: benefit is seen um, it's translating from a, a PFS benefit we're seeing in overall survival so that's whatever sub-analyses are conducted, the main message is overall survival is showing an
2: improvement in these patients.
0: Because the intention to
2: treat was the primary point, so mm. all the rest is hypothesis. Yes. What are the current thoughts on management of immunotherapy-related
0: toxicity in endometrial cancer?
1: Well, I don't think we've seen any differences between the um, countless FDA approvals in many solid tumor types. So, uh, and, and quite frankly, I think the uh, uh, adverse reactions associated with dostarlamab, ruby, are not dissimilar from pembrolizumab and GY0. And I it.
2: fully agree with you, Brad. I do not see particular difference in the toxicity profile of the two drugs. And honestly, I think that we perform our learning curves in the management of the toxicity of immune checkpoint inhibitor, and they are very manageable, much more than any several other class of uh, new class of agent we are using. Which is important because endometrial cancer patients are older, have several comorbidities, so the possibility to have drug easy to manage is it's for sure an advantage.
1: And we're in our sixth year here, right? So in 2017 we had the MSI dMMR pembrolizumab approval, and then in the second line, and then we had TMB tumor mutational burden, and then we had garnet and dostarlimab. So. And, and now we have indications in cervical cancer, something that Ken and I are very passionate about. So we are we're, we're well into this and, um, you know, they're added chemotherapy plus IO, but there's no new immune related adverse events that we're seeing.
0: So in other words, we are seeing significant, um, clinical benefits, but not seeing any new safety signals and the, the sort of adverse events that clinicians are dealing with. They've seen them before they've got enough knowledge and um, understanding of how to help the patients manage those adverse events. Therefore, it really is a, a, a great improvement in um, effic- efficacy without having that increased safety problems. Yes. Okay. What is the rationale for combining immunotherapy with PARP inhibitors? Hmm.
2: Keta? Uh, it's a rationale that come from uh, other tumour. Because the genomic instability generating uh, by PARP inhibitor, uh, which are uh, DNA repair mechanism interfering agent, so they create a new antigen, new antigen create a tumor infiltrated lymphocyte, and uh, that was the reason why there were several preclinical data suggesting uh, an additive or potentially synergistic effect when we combine parp inhibitor plus immune therapy and in endometrial cancer specifically they have been the publication of two single arm phase two trial evaluating the combo of immuno plus parp reporting in advanced line setting response rate ranging between 11 and 16 16 so some signals of efficacy when we combine the two strategy in endometrial cancer
1: Yeah, but we got a problem right we have a problem because in duo e which was presented the study was designed that it doesn't sort out the relative contribution of the parp inhibitor because what i call the quadruplet platinum taxane dervalumab elaparib is compared back to chemotherapy so four drugs to two rather than four drugs to three the dervalumab so that's a problem and that makes that uh, study very difficult if not impossible to interpret and then we have Ruby part two, which is the same thing, four drugs versus two drugs. And so, so unfortunately, and there's no PARP alone arm. I know we've had that problem in, in ovarian cancer. So I'm, I'm skeptical that PARP inhibitors will ever come to the clinic from a regulatory and reimbursement standpoint because of the challenges that we've had in the design of these And trials.
2: also, if I can add, Brad, the, the toxicity of four drugs in endometrial cancer patients yeah. is not negligible. Looking at the data that Shannon presented, 70% of patients had the interruption and reduction and 25% definitive um, interruption of treatment. So I I think it's not 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 easy to manage for drug combination. Probably uh, looking at the forest plot that Shannon presented, it seems that the HRR patient potentially, the HRR, Uh, situation may be predictive of efficacy of PARP but again only hypothesis generating and I agree with you we are missing uh, the contribution of PARP inhibitor single agent to the triplet uh, in in all this trial
0: these trials are getting increasingly complex aren't they with four drugs simultaneously and I'm sure it comes to the point where maybe a slight increase in efficacy, it won't be worth it in terms of how many more adverse events you might be dealing with.
1: Yeah, I mean, Keta and I, we're, we're close friends and colleagues and we work together almost on a daily basis. But it's our job to make things simpler, not more complex. And uh, unfortunately, uh, and we're not always right. But unfortunately, the design of these two trials might have gone uh, against some of key experts in how they should have been designed. So. Um, We're trying to make this simpler and um, we're, you know, we have more work to do. I'm most excited, quite frankly, about antibody drug conjugates. I think that the the PARP inhibitors story ended about the time that it began with the presentation of DuoE.
2: Yes, unfortunately, you, you know, we, we are not, uh, unfortunately, so visionary when we designed the trial three to four to five <laughs> years before. We are not so visionary to imagine and figure out where we will be five years later. And that's the reason why, unfortunately, Duo He and Ruby Part 2 has the same problem. No comparison between the two experimental arms.
1: I think that's fair. I'm just too hard on, on everyone because I want all these trials to win. But uh, that's right. Thank you. For and Brad,
0: that. you mentioned about um, wanting to make the trials simpler, wanting to make the situation simpler. Of course it's also, you also want it simpler for the patient in terms of how many drugs they're having to take and how many drugs they're having to, how many side effects they're having to deal with.
1: But we don't help the patients unless the medication right. comes to the of clinic. So I think I think patients are willing to put in the work. Uh, to bring something to the clinic. So yes, simplicity matters, but but clinical trials and drug development is hard and it is inherently complex and maybe simple is the wrong word. Maybe the word should be definitive. Definitive, okay? Uh, I really am am disappointed that we do trials that really don't answer the question in a meaningful way.
2: And probably in the future, we will move more and more uh... In the direction of biologically driven trials. So, what what is evident is that uh, endometrial cancer has several biological biomarkers, and probably, and all these patients probably will require different treatments. So, this kind of dinosaur trial in which all the patients were put together and eventually only differentiate uh, in the stratification factor, probably this kind of trial will reduce over time, and we will have more and more biologically driven trial.
1: Another brilliant statement. That's right. Mm-hmm. And these trials
2: are,
0: I assume, going to sort of contribute towards personalized medicine for patients with endometrial cancer? Sure. Absolutely. mm
1: mm-hmm. And and that's sort of what we began with is the molecular profiling and how that's evolving mm. into the FIGO staging.
0: Okay. Which research in molecular profiling and biomarker testing for endometrial cancer presented at ESGO
2: caught your attention? <laughs> you know, uh, but several data captured our attention. But probably it's important to underline that all of these were exploratory biomarker in Ruby and in GYAO18, exploratory analysis. And it's very difficult to draw definitive conclusion on exploratory analysis. Um, Dr. Escanter presented interesting data suggesting that uh, the efficacy of immunotherapy is the same regardless the patient has... Uh, MMR uh, somatic of germline mutation or simply the methylation of uh, uh, MLH1. And uh, Dr. Mirza presented interesting data suggesting that, uh, suggesting, not conclusive, but suggesting that the efficacy of immunotherapy is maintained in P53 mute, but probably not in the NSMP population. These are really exploratory analyses, but as Brad said before, in front of overall survival advantage reported in the intention to treat population, I think it's very difficult to preclude immunotherapy in combination with chemo in all advanced or recurrent endometrial cancer patients based on exploratory subgroup analysis?
1: I think probably beyond the TCGA and the promise molecular classification is the HER2 testing now, which quite frankly should probably be mandatory. As you saw, Destiny Pan Tumor was just published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology, a small study only 40 endometrial cancer patients, but in the three plus, plus, again there were only 13 patients there had an 85% response rate. Now, this was uh, the gastric scoring system, um, uh, quite a big fall off into the two plus, which was 47%, almost half. And the three plus, as you know, has breakthrough therapy designation and a tumor agnostic approach based on that uh, presentation and publication. So I think that we can't uh, discount the importance of HER2 testing, and now level 2A on the NCCN guidelines, you can use trastuzumab, duroxtecan in two and three
2: That's amazing data, Brad. That's amazing. 87% response rate in the three plus in a population who have received at least two prior line of therapy is something that in first line we do not obtain combining three to four drugs together. So it's really impressive.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the most common questions I get is they'll say, look, you know, you're using checkpoints in the front line. How do you treat a second line patient after checkpoint? And it's not Pembrol and Vatinib. It's ADCs. And certainly, you know, HER2 is an opportunity there. Most of those are cirrus and PMMR anyways. Uh, and then now, uh, as you know, we have trope 2 so we've had two presentations looking at Trope 2 as you know, uh, the Santine uh, paper, which was uh, uh, 21 patients a 33% response rate, and the TropeX 3 which is a larger sample size, 41 with a 22%, a little lower. And now uh, uh, another collaboration between Keta and me, uh, uh, what I call uh, uh, zero, zero 005, there's a GOG and an NGOT number, but it's been listed on clinicaltrials.gov, which is now the Merck-Kellen-Trope-2 ADC in second or third line after IO versus Physician's Choice Chemotherapy. So that trial is coming to you uh, uh, imminently, listed on clinicaltrials.gov, and we can't wait to have your help to get this trial enrolled so that we can bring anti antitrope-2 to topoisomerase-1 ADCs
2: absolutely,
1: to and to our patients, and to our patients, yeah. And 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 this is and and, and as you know, so that uh, twenty eight seventy is as, as they call it, MK twenty eight seventy, has a, an antibody that's basically very similar, if not identical, to sacituzumab. And sacituzumab has an SN thirty eight payload. This is uh, the twenty eight seventy Merck Kellen product. Kellen's the Chinese company. Uh, has a novel topoisomerase uh, not too uh, much different than, uh, Datopotamab, uh, uh, which is an exit cancer. So we have multiple trope, uh, two ADCs. I've just named, uh, four, um, uh, uh actually three, but there are uh, others. And as you know, saccatuzumab is approved in breast and uroepithelial cancer. So ADCs are here to stay, uh, and trope two and her two are the leading candidates.
0: This is fascinating. I am amazed at the pace of this rapidly evolving field of endometrial cancer treatment. Absolutely incredible. Okay, it's a Lesgo. Were there any other phase three studies or early phase studies that caught your attention aside of the Ruby, the NRG, the Duo E? Anything else that stood out for
2: you? I don't remember ad- other practice changing trial. Probably something uh, to add is that we will have next year additional results, uh, further practice change in trial because we will have uh, the results of the first trial evaluating immunotherapy in the adjuvant setting uh, EN11. And uh, if we move uh, immunotherapy in the adjuvant setting, uh, the number of patients immune pre-treated that, that will recur and will require further treatment probably will further increase. And for this patient, Brad, we will explore if there is space for plus after immuno or if we have to move directly to ADC. And I agree with you, mm-hmm. they are here to stay
1: yeah it, you know we, we keep talking about uh p53 uh uh and how in the wild type setting we have maintenance options we're studying those uh with intent navdumab and selinexor uh so if a patient uh is p p53 wild type gets a response to chemotherapy they can go on a maintenance trial of navdumab and selinexor so that is the study that we're talking about it as going other places trying to get that enrolled and prove uh, that that's an option. And again, if it's, if the patient gets triplet therapy, okay, they could get carboplatin, paclitaxel again, and if they respond, they could be randomized to either one of these trials. So one of the other uh, interesting uh, questions is the de-escalation question. Uh, So in the frontline, in the DMMR subset, we're doing uh, Dominica and C93. So checkpoint versus chemotherapy. Um, uh, to try to sort of evolve that landscape. The problem is, as Ket already said, when we designed that trial, we thought that chemotherapy was the standard. Now it's triplet chemotherapy plus checkpoint. And then we have LEAP001 also versus chemotherapy. But in the PMMR subset, premolizumab and Vatinib in the front line. So we have three trials that have completed enrollment, C93 in Dominica, single agent checkpoint in the DMMR subset and LEAP001 pembrolonvatinib in the PMMR subset. So we're beginning to personalize the frontline treatment and trying to also deescalate or uh, study chemotherapy-free regimens.
0: Okay. On to our final question. What does the future of the management of patients with endometrial cancer look like? Which trials are needed and which
2: advancements in research would you like to see? Keta? I think the future is more and more in a personalized strategy. We will have more and more biological biomarker to guide the treatment in this moment, and we will use it to choose treatment from the Hadyuvan setting toward all the natural history of disease. So in this moment, we will use molecular profiling for staging, to stratify patient according to the risk. We have to decide the adjuvant therapy according to this new stratification of risk. And we have to use, uh, I expected uh, immunotherapy earlier and earlier in the treatment algorithm and ADC in uh, after IO or in case of R2, according to the data that uh, uh, Brad discussed before, probably this is an ADC that should be moved earlier, not only after I You
1: know, two things that we haven't talked about. Uh, number one, fertility sparing. So uh, there are young women that have not completed their childbearing um, that uh, want to be cured of their cancer, but not be cured of their uterus, <laughs> as I say. Um, I'm really intrigued by these GLP-1 agonists that people are using for uh, obesity uh, and and that they might have an option to uh, add to the fertility sparing uh, techniques that we already do. And then second, that we didn't talk about is diversity. Uh, If you didn't know, uh, 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 black women, women of color get different types of cancer and have different results than non-black women. Many of the studies that we do don't have sufficient numbers of women of color, uh, or under other represented minorities to make a definitive statement. And in fact, in DUOE, uh, 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 Asians had less responsiveness to IO. So, so we have two things in the future to work on. Number one is fertility sparing and number two, studying more diverse populations. So that again, we can personalize not based on stage, and molecular signature alone but also personalized based on ethnicity
0: and that concludes today's podcast thank you to professor keta larusso and professor brad monk for joining us today and sharing their insights on the most important research and the latest findings in endometrial cancer presented at ESGO 2023 remember to visit our archives for plenty of great podcasts covering many health related topics For now, stay safe and stay well, and I hope to have you back again on the EMJ podcast very soon. Until next time, take care and goodbye for now.